0: Welcome to the Pioneer Theatre Podcast. I'm Matthew Ivan Bennett. Next up at PTC is the musical Once on This Island, book by Lynn Ahrens, music by Stephen Flaherty, and based on the novel My Love, My Love by Rosa Guy. The play draws on folktales and Haitian mythology, and so today I'm talking to John Knight Lundwall, Ph.D., Lundwall is the author of Mythos and Cosmos, Mind and Meaning in the Oral Age. He received his doctorate in mythological studies from Pacifica Graduate School in Santa Barbara and serves as the chief editor of Cosmos and Logos Journal of Myth, Religion, and Folklore. Join me now for some mythological insight to Once on this Island from John Knight Lundwall. So why do you feel that stories with elemental gods like the gods in Once on This Island, gods of death, water, love, etc., still resonate with people? The simplest explanation,
1: Matt, is a psychological one. Everything that occurs without also occurs within. So life is the confrontation with the elemental. Every human being experiences love, hate, suffering, war in, in some degree, and so the confrontation with these elements in life is the confrontation with these elements within. As a result, every human being uh, will always be engaged with the the divine
0: and the elemental. So I think uh, we will always be engaged with these stories. Mythologists pretty well recognize that Haitian mythos is influenced by African mythos. Could you talk about? how African mythos spread out of Africa to places in the Caribbean?
1: You bet. Haitian mythos is actually a complex of three factors. Uh, we'll talk about that. But one of those factors is African, uh, the African diaspora. So 1510 is when the first Spanish slave ship lands in Haiti. And the slave trade is being driven by sugar, Basically, Europe has—I uh, mean—they've uh, discovered the "quote unquote" new world, and you know the Spanish are looking for cities of gold, but they come back with stuff that's more priceless than gold. Sugar is is one of them, and the uh, sugar plantations are extraordinarily labor-intensive and dangerous because you have to build kilns and, and process the sugar, and and so it, the slave trade is driven by that. The first slave ship lands in Haiti in the very early 1500s. You know, the first slavery vault, in they've got good records. The first slavery revolt in Haiti is 1522, 12 years after the first slave ship arrives. And another 20 years, there's actually some 3,000 slaves that have escaped the plantations and are living in the mountains and in, in the hills. Well, when they go up there, they meet indigenous people, people that are indigenous to Haiti, and their mythos is Central American. It's related to the Maya and the Aztec. And so Haitian myth is a combination between African elements derived from the slave trade and uh, I should mention – these African slaves are, are not all from one village. They're coming out of West Africa. They're coming from different parts of Africa. They have different languages, different deities. So there's an amalgamation. And in fact, the uh, if if there was a group of slaves that could speak the same language, the plantation owners would split them up across the island to prevent slave revolts. And so Very early on, you get this incredibly difficult dynamic of people coming in from Africa, being split up. They are, uh, many of them are fleeing if they can. Many of them are just dying and being worked to death. And so they integrate with the indigenous population. And uh, Haitian mythology then is a combination between Mesoamerican, African. And then we get the Christian influence because they're all being converted, sometimes forcibly, <laughs> by by the Christian priests. The Spanish priests in the 15th, 1600s, France takes over in the, the late 17th century. And so you really get this confluence of factors. Just as a, a really interesting note, I thought I would read a passage from uh, Maya Deren's The Divine Horseman about Haitian religion hmm. because she's talking about how the two systems, the indigenous people and the African system, interrelated. And remarkably, there were so many similarities between the two. Of course, there are a lot of differences, but they were able to integrate pretty well. And so let me just read this this passage. Both religious traditions, that's the African and the Mesoamerican, had in common a creator deity as a first source, myths of the first human pair or twins, a concept of the abysmal waters as the life source, a pantheon of divinities of the elements or natural forces, a serpent deity of prime importance, worship of ancestral spirits, a metaphysical concept of the cardinal directions or crossroads and of trees, a belief in the manifestation of psychic or cosmic forces in the physical world, a belief in the manipulation and control of these forces, by human beings who function simultaneously on religious, social, and physical levels. In both systems, the manipulations on a magical level involved fetishes that brought to focus metaphysical forces and referred either to ancestral spirits or elemental forces. The relationship between humans and nature was expressed in a concept of metamorphic power, the ability to change into an animal, for instance. Moreover, the worship of the metaphysical forces was ritualistic rather than meditative, and involved for both peoples the idea that the energy of the metaphysical forces had to be sustained by feeding or sacrifice, and their benediction maintained by propitiation. Ritualistically, the major faith ordeal of both systems was related to fire, and the service of supplication involved drumming and collective dancing. So there is a a lot of crossover and, of course, these are two entirely different peoples, but uh, they're both being oppressed by the same people and so they unite and they integrate their religious systems together and and Haitian religion and myth is the product.
0: I guess I should say here too… In writing the study guide for Once on This Island, doing some research, I I found that even though the the gods in the show, they're called gods in the Haitian religion, they're called loas, and they they don't exactly have the same status as gods, and that there is a belief in a supreme being called Bondu, maybe? That, That might be from French.
1: Yeah, so the loa both have a belief in a divine creator. And again, the names are different in different regions and from different tribes, right? And so, but there is the overall divine creator and the Loa are the subordinate divine. They are the caretakers of the cosmos. And so we find this actually in a lot of religious systems in the ancient world. Polytheism is a little bit messy because in a lot of cultures, it's actually monopolytheism a belief in one deity that is supported by a divine realm of deities or a divine council. And so this is also called henotheism. And so we get that in Haitian religion. And so so when the Christians come, they recognize, first off, they recognize a divinity because they have Legba, the, the creator. They have Gade, the deity of death, and they have Damballa, who is the cosmic deity. And so they they take father son and holy ghost and they map these things onto them they have all their loa the catholic priest came in with all their saints so they took all the saints and they transposed the loa onto them and so they would actually take the pictures of the saints and put them on their altars and it would look like they're worshiping the catholic saints but they're worshiping the haitian loa and so so you you get these really interesting crossovers where the indigenous religion, the African religion are, are intermingling, and then that religion intermingles with Christianity, and they
0: make it work. So Once on this Island is a love story, first and foremost, a myth or a folktale, if you will, about the power of love over death. This is a big question, but where else do you see this theme reflected? <laughs> oh, where else in mythology?
1: Well, again, you know, one of the elemental deities is a deity of love. It's a primal human concern. So we'll find these stories in every culture. You know, in classical myth, I suppose you could begin with Isis and Osiris. Their story, you know, in the language of second millennium BCE, it's not so much a love story as it is a cosmogonic myth, but Osiris is killed and Isis searches everywhere to, to resurrect him, to bring him back to life as her consort. So I, I suppose that would be the archetypal story, but obviously Orpheus and Eurydice in Greek myth really has the same theme. Orpheus and Eurydice are, you know, it's true love. They love each other. Eurydice dies and Orpheus is despondent. And the only way to bring her back to life is to take that most dangerous journey into the underworld, which he does, to bring light back into his life. And of course, we know how that story ends. He (laughs) meets her in the underworld, and he's given one condition. He, he can lead her out of the underworld, but he can't look back. If he does, she will disappear back into the underworld. So he leads her all the way out to the, to the edge of the material world, and right as he's walking across the threshold, he takes a peek back, <laughs> and, and he sees Eurydice uh, disappear forever. We have, of course, Amor and Psyche, another classic Greek tale, um, Apuleius is the golden ass, is where that comes from. And so we have these archetypal stories of lovers, and they often have the same theme, and that is the love is not. It's deeply problematic, and the lovers are separated, often by death or by impossible odds. And the point of these stories is how to overcome these obstacles and to resurrect from death and to overcome death. And in the case of Orpheus and Eurydice, that doesn't appear to happen.
0: So these are harrowing tales. Final question, and there's a spoiler in this question, but I feel like it relates to our discussion of mythology The story has a moment in which the young woman, the young lover, is transformed into a tree. What parallels does this have outside of this folktale? And what does it mean? It's actually
1: a great question. Probably to start would be to start in Haitian culture. When a newborn is is born in Haitian religion, uh, it is swaddled in a bright white linen cloth. It's the same cloth that they bury the dead with. So both birth and death are analogous. One, the birth is coming from the other world. The death is going back into that world. And so, but curiously, when a baby is born in that culture, they they wrap it in that white cloth and then they take it to the family courtyard where there's a sacred tree. And the tree is inhabited by the loa of the family the caretakers of the family and community and they introduce the infant to the tree so and the loa or the deities then acknowledge the infant and of course there are blessings given to oversee the new member of the community and so life begins then with coming to the family tree that is the divine center that the connecting point between the other world and the world in which the infant is now living. This is a theme that goes back thousands of years. It's really quite amazing. The, um, I mean, in prehistoric times, Isis, Hathor, Newt are all represented by a tree. In the Egyptian funerary texts, they're homogenized with the title Lady of the Sycamore. So the deceased go into the underworld, and they confront a tree. And the goddess is wrapped in the tree, giving out food and nourishment to the weary parched dead. There's often a uh, well or spring of water associated with the tree because in the underworld you are parched with thirst and this is also a universal thing. Isis, we, we, we talked about the love stories, Isis revives Osiris from inside a tree. Orpheus on uh, pictures of on paintings on vases, we see Orpheus descend into the underworld where he meets Eurydice by a tree, right? And of course, in the uh, Greco Roman mysteries, when the deceased descend into the underworld, they meet Persephone, who stands by a tree where a spring of water is, is at, where they drink for the parched dead. In the Near East, Inanna is associated with the Hulupu tree. In Palestine, holy trees are called Our Lady. And so, the identification of the goddess with the tree goes back thousands of years, and, and the question is why. In again Haitian culture, when you die, you go to the next world, and in the next world there is a crossroads, and at the crossroads stands a tree, and so the crossroads is represented by a tree. The association with the tree and the in the goddess is for a couple of reasons. First off, the tree is a cosmic image. It is an image of the underworld, the roots, the middle world, the trunk, the heavenly world, the branches. So it's a a cosmic image. And I didn't fully appreciate, actually, uh, 20 years ago, I was in Palenque, Mexico, which is a sacred center. And they have this gorgeous, huge lime tree in the center courtyard. I have no idea how old old it was, but it was uh, fully fruiting when I was there. And when I walked up to it, I could barely see any leaves. There were thousands of limes growing on it. And that's when I realized, my gosh, I had no idea. The amount of produce you can get from one tree, well, that's an image of fertility and birth. And so it's a female cosmogonic image of bringing life out of the nutrient soil, and, and waters, turning into the seed and fruit of life. And so that's why Lady of the Sycamore is giving her sustenance to the dead as they walk through the underworld. And that's why Newt is also represented as a tree as the cosmic image. There's this grand process that's happening where souls come from the underworld to the material world, into the eternal world. It's all overseen by the goddess through the image of the cosmic Tree. And might I add, this play that you're doing, yeah, the main character turns into a tree, uh, that is Haitian fairy tale and is very similar to the Cinderella fairy tale, which is the most common fairy tale type yet recorded. But in the old pre Christian uh, stories of Cinderella, the fairy godmother is a tree, right? And Cinderella. Puts on the clothing of the tree, crawls into the tree, becomes the tree as she's initiated into her royal life, and so this is a again, it's a uh, Scandinavian, Greek, Near Eastern, Egyptian, Mesoamerican theme that the goddess, the tree, birth—they're all connected in the story. The tree oversees the village, right? We yeah. won't give any um, spoilers away as to to why there's a tree that at the story but it represents the the power of the loa over the village.
0: John where can we find you online and where can we find your book?
1: Well, I do have a website JohnLundwall.com. It's currently under construction. I do have a book Mythos and Cosmos: Mind and Meaning in the Oral Age. You can get that on amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com. And you can look me up on YouTube. I've got some videos I I'm a project leader of an archaeoastronomy project looking at rock art in Utah. And I've got a really cool team of people putting together some really interesting stuff. And so I've only got a couple videos of but we've discovered some pretty interesting things already uh, that are original to the work of early rock art in Utah. So you can look me up on Amazon, you can look me up at johnlundwall.com, coming soon, and you can look me up on YouTube.
0: Fantastic. John Lundwall, thank you for doing this. Thank you for listening to the Pioneer Theatre Podcast for Once on This Island. For tickets, call 801-581-6961 or visit our website, pioneertheater.org. The play is sponsored by Zion's Bank. Thanks are also due to Robert J. Nelson and the University of Utah for hosting us here in the audio studio at the J. Willard Marriott Library. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple or find it on Buzzsprout and, of course, at Pioneertheater.org.